the question that I have. Why do we have 40,000 denominations in the Christian church? And that's what I want to talk about today. From the outset, I want to make it clear that I certainly don't have 100% of the truth. Nobody does. We will someday, but right now, as, as Franco said, some things are hard to understand and sometimes we make mistakes. So I just want to make it clear that I'm not trying to say that we have the truth. Okay, so just keep that in mind. However, there are nonetheless some 40,000 plus different denominations, and that is not what God wants. Uh, If you take your Bible and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, how many denominations does God want? I think that's the question. Because in verse 10 of that chapter, he says, Now I beseech you, brethren, he's begging us, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Now, they can do that with a Super Bowl game, but God wants us to do it with the church, with our, with all the brothers and sisters. I don't see how you can read this verse and come across thinking that, oh, it's okay if there's 40,000 different denominations. Everybody needs something a little bit different. So God, God has individual plans for everybody regarding doctrine. No, that's not at all the case. 1 Corinthians 1.10 here says he wants us to speak the same thing. There's nothing complicated about that. I don't need to expound on that. Just speak the same thing. That's what God wants. He doesn't want us to have divisions. He wants us to be perfectly joined together. Not just joined together, but perfectly joined together in the same mind. And that would be the mind of Christ, of course. And Jesus had one thing in his mind, and that's what we're supposed to have. He wants us to have the same judgment so that when we see things happening in the world, we can know this is right, this is wrong, this is what we need to do. So that one little verse with four big things in there that gives us what God's will is, and it's not 40,000 different denominations. Clearly, he wants us to all be the same mind, the same judgment, no divisions. He wants us to speak the same things. That's all you can say to it about it. Uh, in the next verse, it says, For it hath been declared <clears throat> unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are the house of Chloe, that there be contentions among you. <clears throat> Excuse me. Contentions. That's the Greek word eris. E-R-I-S. Very interesting word. Eris was the Greek goddess of strife and discord. She had an insatiable appetite for blood. Her son's name was Strife, and they rode together in a chariot to war, and she loved the havoc of war. You know, an all-around nice lady, that Eris. Well, that's that word contentions, and Paul there was contentions. All that was going on in the church of Corinth at this time, and That was not at all God's will. The next verse, verse 12, it says, Now this I say, that every one of you that saith, I am of Paul, and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. 
Well, at that point in time, there was four denominations right there. And as far as God was concerned, that was three too many. Well, that wasn't too bad, really, if you compare it to today. Um, we'd have to modify that verse today. It would, it would have to go like, I am of Paul, I of Apollos, I of Cephas, I of Christ, I of John Calvin, I of Martin Luther, I of Joseph Smith, I of Pope Paul, I of Baba Ram Das, etc., etc., etc. I'll spare you the pain of going through all 40,000, but you get the point. Um, 1 Corinthians one twelve would just fill the whole Bible if we were going to name all the denominations. Not what God wants, not at all. Well, what causes that division? What's what's the problem? Why did that come about? Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, if you turn there, and in verse 1 it says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. Well, that word testimony is uh, better translated as secret. It's the, it's the word mysterion. And some texts have martyrion, and that's what this verse is actually using. It's not, it should be sacred secret or secret, not testimony. In the REV, John says it should be translated mysterion, and it is a secret. So Paul was coming up here and saying he wanted to declare unto us a secret of God, the sacred secret. Actually, the uh, ASV, the American Standard Version, the uh, English Standard Version, does translate it as secret. Almost all English Bibles, though, say testimony. But again, secret's a better word. Now, a mystery, if we translate that word mysterion as mystery, that's not good either because a mystery may not ever be understood. But a secret can be understood once it's revealed. And as we're going to see, this sacred secret has been revealed big time. So, but Paul was saying when he came to them, he, he couldn't talk to them about this sacred secret. And he explains, we're going to see exactly why. The next verse, it says, I determine not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. So that's all Paul could go with them, that Jesus Christ was crucified. They knew he was crucified, all right, and they, they knew he died for his sins, but they didn't really get what that meant, all the benefits that that, that, that entailed. They were kind of just stuck on Jesus Christ and him crucified. And, you know, as you go into churches today, you can kind of see that. And again, not to, not to make fun or anything like that or disparage anybody, but you go into a lot of churches and they're just waving their hands and swaying back and forth going, Oh, Jesus, 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 just over and over. And, you know, that might look good. However, there's no manifestations there. There's no, look, we get those manifestations from, from Evelyn and Carolyn and, and Marion today. They were just beautiful. Those, that's God talking specifically to us. And I'd take that any day over just waving my arms and chanting Jesus, Jesus. So the Corinthians were stuck on that. They couldn't get past Jesus and him crucified. And then, of course, there's the altar or the cross that's behind virtually every altar. Well, Jesus isn't on the cross anymore. He rose. If any symbol there was going to be, maybe something like an open tomb, but certainly not a cross. He's past that. He's well past that. That happened 2,000 years ago, and he's living in our hearts now. He's not suffering. So 
Yeah, but you know, if you can't get past Jesus Christ and Him crucified, that's where we're at, and and that's all Paul could do with them. It's nobody's individual fault, see, and and, and it's tradition. It's what tradition teaches, and there was plenty of traditions beginning even before Paul died. He talked about in Second Corinthians eleven four. He talked about people already preaching another Jesus besides the one he was preaching. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, people were talking about the resurrection. They were saying false things about the resurrection and that it had already occurred. And the people left there, well, you guys just missed the boat. Also in that 2 Timothy chapter 3, he talks about the power of Holy Spirit. People didn't know that. They were starting to lose that. And that's everything. That's the essence of the new birth. We get that Holy Spirit when we're born again. That's what makes us alive. That's what gives us the power to do what we do. Without that, we just might as well not be born again. I mean, that, well, we wouldn't be if you didn't have Holy Spirit. That's, they, they go together. The born again is getting Holy Spirit. It's the gift of Holy Spirit. It has nine manifestations. And I don't know why, but everybody wants to call tongues, interpretation of tongues, prophecy, gifts. And I've shown countless people straight out of the Bible, out of uh, Corinthians chapter 11 there. No, these are manifestations, but I, they just don't get it. And I don't know why. It just has to be tradition, the power of tradition. And it's a tradition for 2,000 years now. However, the words have also been written for 2,000 years. When I show them 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it's the words that have been there for 2,000 years. There's nothing new. They're there for anybody. And all you have to do is read them and believe them. Forget tradition. Anyway, that's a little bit about Holy Spirit. But they were starting to lose that idea. So we know that Paul couldn't talk to them anything except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, the reason for that is given in chapter 3. It's just, just stuff just builds. It's wonderful. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 1, it says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. Ouch! Oof! That must have hurt to hear that. <laughs> Gee whiz. I mean, I'm just a baby. I'm carnal. Well, that's what it says. That's what Paul said. And I, you know, I'm trying to think of how he must have felt to have to say that to them. I, you know, I would hate to have to say that to anybody, but God told him to say that. And that's what he said. And there's a reason for it because if they listened, they could break out of that. And Paul's going to tell them how to do that. That's coming up. But yeah, he could only speak to them as unto carnal. He had to use baby talk. You know, me hungry, me cry, she feed. That's as far as they could go. And again, that's wonderful. They're born again, so I'm not trying to disparage them. I want to keep making that clear. That's just wonderful they're born again. But God wants us to get bored again and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Two different things there. And that's what Paul wanted. And that's what he's trying to show the Corinthians. Look, you guys are carnal. You need to get out of it. And that word carnal is just flesh. It means flesh. It's the word sarx, S-A-R-X. It's flesh and blood. Okay, That's what the word means. So the thing is, is that flesh is not the source of truth. God's word is the source of truth. There's no man that has the truth. The Pope doesn't have the truth. Baba Ram Das, none of those guys. Flesh is not the source of truth. In Romans uh, chapter 8, you can keep your, I'll just read it here, Romans chapter 8 and verse 5, 
It says, for they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded, that same word sarks, is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. How powerful is that? How how much to the point is that? So, and that's what was happening with the Corinthians. They were being carnal. They're, it's because their minds were on the things of this world instead of the things of God. They were looking at themselves. They were looking to please themselves. They were not looking towards God, keeping their eyes on things above. And because of that, it was leading to death. You know, Knowing that, I wonder how we ever do that, but we seem to do it. It's just fantastic how we can and God can still forgive us and just bring us back. We can just get right back to that spiritually minded. It only takes a second. And when we do that, not only does he forgive us, cleanse us from all unrighteousness, but we're right back on that road of life and peace. Well, the the, the Corinthians then were carnal and that's not, and, and this is the reasons Paul telling him this. He says, look, I don't want to see you guys on a road to death here. I want to see you have life and peace. And I want you to stop thinking about things of the flesh. I want you to start thinking about things of the spirit from God's word. And you can talk to God and he'll tell you things. This is what Paul wants them to do. You want to exercise your mind, entertain thoughts or sentiments of God, not of the flesh. And that includes even things with healing and with sickness and disease. We don't want to keep poking at ourselves and seeing, oh, is this going away? Is that going away? That's, I'm sorry, but that's keeping your mind on the flesh. God has healed us, period, end of story. You don't have to go anything beyond that. That's where your mind should go. The minute I start feeling something that's sore, boom, I got to say, nope, nope, God healed it. And that's the end of it. And just keep your mind on that. It's what the word says. I, I, I wouldn't be smart enough to come up with any of this. That's for sure. And, and what's interesting is verse five, there's an ellipsis there because notice it says, they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. There's no mind there, right? The first time it's mind, you mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. So he left that out. Why? Because he wants to emphasize the fact that that when we're thinking of the spirit, then we're after the things of the spirit. That's where our mind is, and that's what he wants it to be. So, yeah, there's an ellipsis. In Colossians chapter 3, I believe it is, he, he says plain, set your mind on things above, where Christ sits, not on things of the earth. So when I'm thinking about my aches and pains, where's my mind? On my aches and pains. That's not what God wants. God wants me to think that I'm healed. He's told me that. I don't know how many times. Well, that's what I want to think. Now, again, I know we sometimes fail to do that, and pain is is a real thing. I'm not saying you deny it, but just the second you start thinking about that pain, go away from it. Start thinking about things above. Thank God for healing it, and then just move on. And if you have to do that every day for the rest of your life, that's okay. You can do it. Every time you do it, you're putting your mind above, and that's what we're supposed to do. So continuing on there in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, remember in verse 1 there, it said that uh, he could only talk to him as unto babes as carnal. And yeah, ouch, but it gets even worse here. <laughs> I have fed you with milk and not with meat. Oh my God, terrible. For hitherto 
you weren't able to bear it. Neither yet now are ye able. That must have hurt Paul to say that. I mean, I because he had a heart for these people. He got them into the word. But here he is telling them, look, you guys are babies. I can't even give you me. You, you just can't take it now. He says, for ye are yet carnal. He's straight out. You are carnal. How much that must have hurt to hear, and it must have hurt for Paul to say it. He says, for whereas there is among you envying and strife, that's that same word, eris, that Greek goddess that loved blood and war and chaos. There is strife and divisions. Are ye not carnal? And that's the same word, sarks. Talk, they, they mind the flesh and walk as men. For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there's among you envy and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? That is another figure of speech. It's a rhetorical question. So Paul is making a point here. Look, I want to let you guys know where you're at so I can help you. And that's why God's telling them, remember, God only reproves those who he loves. You don't want to let somebody keep sticking their hand in the fire over and over or a fork in the socket. You want to tell them, hey, you're doing something stupid. Stop it. Well, that's kind of what Paul's doing here. Verse four, for while one saith, I am of Paul, I of Apollos, are ye not yet carnal? There it is. That's the definition of carnal in this context. I am of Paul, I am of Paulus, I am of so-and-so, I am this guy, I am of John, whatever. That is carnal. And that's what Paul is trying to tell them. And again, that's also a rhetorical question. So again, figure of speech wants to make it clear that you guys are carnal because you're talking about this is my leader. Oh, this is my leader. This is my leader. That's carnal. We have one leader, and that would be the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the one denomination that God wants us to be in. Well, anyway, this is basically why we have 40,000 different denominations. Corinthians started out with four. We've multiplied that by 10,000 today. So now we're up to 40,000. So it's gotten a lot worse, but the principle is the same. And the bottom line is, Instead of thinking spiritual thoughts and putting our minds on God's word and nothing but God's word is the source of truth, no tradition. Get rid of traditions and just look in God's word. If you hear a tradition, if you hear something, see if you can compare it with the word. That's what the uh, Bereans did, and they uh, ended up believing. And then believing is only going to lead to good things, of course. So, yeah, you got to question everything you hear from any man, even me. Again, I'm not perfect. I'm sure I make mistakes. So compare everything I say with the scriptures. I try my best just to keep simple with the scriptures. And, and, and I think that's the key. And if you don't know something about the scriptures, don't go off, you know, trying to explain it when you don't really know what it's talking about. If you don't know, you don't know. There's plenty of things I didn't know 40 years ago that I know now, but there's probably more things now I don't know than there were 40 years ago. But I'm patient. I'll wait one of these days. And we'll have it down. So anyway, there's the problem. Well, I don't want to close on that, of course. So we want a solution. And that is back in the second chapter of 1 Corinthians. If you turn back there, we read in Corinthians 2, verse 6 there. So Paul said, I can't talk to you guys. I can't talk to you. I have to talk to you as babes. Can't go beyond Jesus Christ and him crucified. In verse 6, how be it? In other words, but, so in contrast, we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor the princes of this world that come to naught. Okay, so 
he's that's what he, you know he couldn't talk to the to, to, to the to the Corinthians. However, apparently there's somebody he can talk to. Go beyond that. Go beyond Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Namely, those that are perfect. Now, <laughs> perfect doesn't mean you never make mistakes. That you know it all. All right. That's not it at all. It's that word talos. Remember the tip of the dog's tail? Uh, the Naomi, I believe it's the Naomi Study Bible, uh, says this about it. It says, to set out for a definite point or goal, the point aimed at as a limit, the conclusion of an act or state. In other words, Paul talks to people that have a little bit of maturity. They've grown up. They've come to a point where they start, they, they've been thinking about things of the Spirit. There are no longer divisions among them. That's all that means. So to these people, Paul can speak wisdom, yet not of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught. By the way, that word uh, talos is used in Hebrews, and I'll just read this here for you. It says, for everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. Now, does that sound familiar? But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age. That's the word talos. Even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So that fits right along in there with uh, Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 2, 7, it says, But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. Okay, it's the same word, mysterion, and it's better translated as secret, because God did make it known. So it was a secret at one time, but we're going to see that God made it perfectly known. And this is going to be the key to being of the same mind, the secret. In verse 2, 8, it says, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Well, that should raise some eyebrows. It shows you how important this sacred secret is. Anybody had known it, well, if the princes of this world, as we're going to see, which was the devil and his his cohorts, had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. What's that all about? Why would they not have crucified Jesus had they known the sacred secret that Paul could only reveal to people that were of full age, got beyond Jesus Christ and him crucified. Well, most people actually will tell you that the princes of this world were like the Romans, the Pharisees, or something like that. Well, and, and that the reason they wouldn't have crucified Jesus had they known is because, well, they just didn't understand his true character. They didn't understand how good of a guy he was. Yeah, that's a pretty weak argument. Uh, and just stick with me here and we'll find out why that is a weak argument. The princes of this world are definitely evil spirits and we'll see that. And the reason is they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory is because of what happened once they did that. In other words, what's the results of that sacred secret? In Colossians 1.25, it says, Whereof I, Paul, am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Well, there's the word dispensation. I don't know. A lot of churches, a lot of people say, oh, there's no dispensations. <laughs> I don't know. There's one. There's at least one. It was given to Paul, and, you know, as most of you guys know, there's actually seven. So there are dispensations. Paul was made a minister according to one of these to fulfill the word of God. In other words, before Paul, this word of God was not fulfilled. 
It was fulfilled when Paul came along and God gave him a little revelation. Like I said, there's here's at least one, so I don't know how you could deny there's no dispensations, but there are there are, like I said, seven. Great book is Purpose of the Ages, and you can get that on our website or I think Amazon, Barnes and Noble. But the Purpose of the Ages, a great book that goes into the dispensations. You read it; it's very, very simple, and it really helps to make the whole Bible make sense. Why things seemingly contradictions? It just clears them all up. It's just a beautiful book, Purpose of the Ages. I can't recommend it enough. So Colossians one twenty five there, Paul was made a minister according to this dispensation. Verse 26, even the secret, says mystery in most Bibles, but it's that same word mysterion, secret, which hath been hidden from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints. So now is when Paul's writing this. Prior to Paul, the sacred secret was not known. Jesus Christ didn't even know it. And by the way, when Jesus was talking to 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 people about the end times, he said, some of you are going to live to see the end times come. Well, obviously they didn't. <laughs> and Google that sometimes and you get some real interesting takes on why Jesus said that to them and it didn't come true. The reason is, and it's real simple, Jesus did not know the mystery. And so he thought, as per Daniel, that he would be coming back and I think it was seven years. Could be mistaken on that. I think it's seven. But in any case, it would have been one lifetime. That's why he said, hey, when I come back, some of you guys are going to be here. Well, when he finally ascended, God said, "Ah, Jesus, I, I want to tell you something. <laughs> and then he revealed the secret to Jesus. And so that's this period that we're in now. It's been at least 2,000 years. Well, Clearly, all those people Jesus said would might see it are gone. So Jesus did not know it. And it's that simple. If you understand the secret, you don't have to go through a lot of mental gymnastics to explain why Jesus, quote unquote, was wrong. Well, he was wrong. But as far as he knew, he was 100% right. Anyway, that's a little little side note explaining that. So, but yeah, this mystery was hid from ages and generations, but now when Paul, it was finally made known. And that mystery is real simple. Well, the riches of the glory of that mystery, and this is why the devil would not have killed Jesus Christ had he known about this. It says, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you. Christ in you. That's where he is. He's in you. And remember, God in Christ, in you. Gift of Holy Spirit. All these things fit together to give you tremendous power. The ability to manifest and bless and build up the body that is in the church you're in that day. It's it's incredible privilege to have that, to have all that. But it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. That means wherever there's a Christian, there's Jesus. There's, I guess, billions of Jesuses now all over the world. When Jesus was here, it was just one Jesus, one place at one time. That meant the devil could keep track of him a whole lot easier. Now he's got to keep track of billions. However, if he can convince us and rob the, the knowledge of this mystery from us, then it's just, it, he, he kind of won because he doesn't have to worry about about Christians that have no power, basically. 
babes. It's the ones that have the power that understand and that can that can do battle, that spiritual battle that we that, that God talks about. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, principalities. Instead, we wrestle against spiritual powers in high places. So um, that's why the devil. Now, as far as if it was the uh, Romans or the Jews or the, the Pharisees, whatever, if they were the ones that it's, uh, it said wouldn't crucify Jesus, why? What would, if they knew that we were going to have Christ in us, all this power, they would, they would go for it. I mean, wouldn't you think? Even the Romans? And ask yourself, who stood the most to lose? The Jews, the Romans, or the devil? So clearly those that, um, would not have crucified the Lord of glory are not people. It's the devil because he's the one that stood everything to lose. Eventually his very existence. So those are the ones that wouldn't have crucified Jesus had they known the mystery because it's Christ in you and that's your hope of glory. It's coming. You can count on it. All these things just build on each other. It's fantastic. In Romans 16.25, it says, Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the secret, which was kept secret since the world began, but now is made manifest. Remember that. But what is it that establishes us? Well, it's that revelation of the sacred secret, Christ in you. That's what's going to make you established. You're going to be set fast. Your feet are going to be in concrete. You're going to go in one direction. And so it's without that revelation of the sacred secret, we're just wandering around aimless. And that's why we have 40,000 different denominations. That is the bottom line. We're walking in 40,000 different directions. Nobody is set fast unless you have that knowledge of that sacred secret that it's God in Christ in you. And that goes way, way, way beyond Jesus Christ and him crucified. Jesus Christ and him crucified will get you born again. And that's wonderful because in the end, it's all going to work out perfect for everybody. But while we're here, it's really nice to be able to get beyond that and to understand that mystery or that secret that was kept secret since the world began until it was real to Paul. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Speaking of the different uh, dispensations or administrations, you know, Moses didn't have Christ in him. Abraham didn't have Christ in him. As great as those people were, David, we look at them, we admire them. We have way more power than they have. There's just no doubt of that. In this day and age, The secret is the doctrine de jure, okay? It's what's happening in the spiritual world of today. We're no longer in the uh, uh, Sermon on the Mount. We're no longer in in the Gospels. We got beyond that because Jesus Christ was didn't wasn't raised from the dead during the Gospels. It wasn't until the day of Pentecost when that Holy Spirit first became available. And they manifested that on day one with by speaking in tongues. And we see that, the speaking in tongues, the prophecy, the, the healings they did, the revelations they got, all those are manifestations of the Spirit. Tongues is not a gift. Never was, never will be. It's a manifestation of the gift that every born-again believer has. Every born-again believer has the ability to do 
nine manifestations. And that's the power that we have. And if we get to that point, there'll be much, there'll be unity. That's the only way there'll be unity. As long as we're thinking of the flesh, it's not going to be there. So Christ in you, the hope of glory, that's one benefit of the sacred secret of getting born again in the Holy Spirit. That's just one. In Ephesians 2, I'm not going to read it. I'll just kind of summarize it here. It says, the believer who was once dead in trespasses and sins is made alive. You see that in verses 1 through 5. From death unto life, that is something. The believer has been raised and is seated in the heavenly places. We're no longer dead. We're not, we're in this world, but we're not of it. That's why we look above, because whatever it is of us that's seated above, and this is kind of hard for me to wrap my brain around, I don't quite picture it, but it says we're seated in the heavenly, so I just got to go along with that. That part is not sick. That doesn't have any aches or pains. So that's why I want to look at that as much as possible. Again, whenever I start thinking about myself here, I got to get over it and go above. And it only takes a second to make the switch. You practice that, it gets more and more easy and real in your life. Back to Ephesians here, it says, What he has done for each believer is God's way of showing all creation of his grace and kindness. You're his bragging point. You're the number one prize in God's trophy. You see that in verse 7. He talks to the spirits. He says, hey, you want to see how great I really am? Ah, look at Steve there in Georgia. Look at John. Look at Elliot. Hey, look at those guys. Look at how I made them. That's who you are. God brags on you all day long, all of us. Part of the mystery of the sacred secret. The believer is unable to repair his sinful nature on his own, is instead made into a brand new creature by God's workmanship. You're not you anymore. You're not the old you anymore. You're a new year, and it's God's workmanship, and he knows how to do things. He kind of built the whole universe. That's in verses 8 to 10, all part of the, the sacred secret. The believer in the past had no path to salvation. There was no Simply no plan, the Gentiles, to redeem anyone but those who could call themselves a direct descendant of Jacob. If you weren't a direct descendant of Jacob, too bad. You're pound sand. Of course, he knew what was coming. But Gentiles were without God, without hope, until the sacred secret was revealed. Prior to that, you had to be a descendant of Jacob to be part of God's plan. That's in verses 11 and 12 of that second chapter. The believer, whether Jew or Gentile, is now included in God's masterful plan of salvation. Verses 13 and 14. God had a plan. You're part of it. He had you in mind before he even created the world. You know, Jeff, he saw Jeff before the foundation of the world. And he said, you know, I want to make Jeff one of my sons. And then I want to brag to all the spirits up here about how cool I am because of what I did for Jeff. Well, that's pretty, you know, geez, what more could you want? That's in verses 13 and 14. The believer is part of a new creation, a creation of God that was not possible until Christ died and was raised from among the dead. Remember, he's not on the cross anymore. When he was still on the cross, none of this stuff was true. Only once he got up from the dead did all this stuff become true. So you got to get beyond the cross. 
Get to the sacred secret. Understand that. Put that in your mind. Everything that it means for you. That's in verse 15. You're a new creation. You're not the old you anymore. The believer has been reconciled, brought back into harmony with God. No longer at odds with God. You're locked in with him. That's verse 16. The believer in God has direct access to God. You can talk to God. He'll talk to you. You can walk with him. He'll walk with you. Just talk to him when you're driving down the street. You can talk to Jesus. He'll answer you. Just carry on a conversation. Ask him questions. Whatever you want to do. Tell him how nice you think the weather is today. Whatever. Just like you talk to anybody. You can do that now. You have direct access. You don't have to go through a priest. Okay? Direct access. That's verse 17 and 18. Finally, the believer, this is really mind-boggling, the believer is an integral part of God's habitation. Each believer is part of the building in which God dwells. We're being built together for a habitation of God. This is where God lives. He's not in the temple. He's no longer, he's not up there in heaven, just, you know, whatever. He's down here, God in Christ in you. We're being built together. We're the true temple. And that's in verses 19 through 22. And then there's the seven ones to get back to being the one. The seven ones that Mark talked about. I thought this was pretty cool. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one father. Okay. There's not 40, 40,000 bodies, 40,000 spirits, 40,000 hopes, et cetera, et cetera. There's one of all of those. So the upshot of the whole thing is, is that why 40,000 denominations? It's very simple. It's because we fail to understand the sacred secret. And that's what was causing the divisions in the Corinthian church back then. It's what's causing the same thing, what's causing the divisions today. So one more little quote here I want to read, and then, uh, then we'll wrap it up. If there's any hope of Christian unity... Each believer must have a firm understanding of the secret. Understanding the crucifixion of Jesus, while required for salvation, is not the end of Christianity. Nor will it bring about the unity God so desires for the church. We are to grow up in the Lord, changing our diet from milk to meat. And that can only happen by having a thorough understanding of the sacred secret which God hid in himself until he revealed it to the Apostle Paul. Again, the purpose of the ages, get it. You don't have it, get it, read it, study it, tell your friends. I don't know if we'll ever get to one denomination here. I mean, I, I, I being realistic, but we don't need 40,000, that's for sure. And we don't need to argue with our brothers and sisters. You know, there's always going to be things we don't agree on. Well, so be it. It's not God's perfect will, but a lot of things here are not God's will. Someday, it won't be a problem, but um, that's the day we look forward to. So anyway, Heavenly Father, we sure thank you. Thank you for your word, for revealing to us your word, and for making it available for anybody that wants to understand it. It's not very difficult, Father. You speak to us in very simple terms. We just have to look at it and believe it. And I just pray that we can get beyond tradition, that the the scales of that tradition can drop off our eyes, that we can understand the simplicity of the words, the Son of God. And we can know who Jesus Christ is, that he's our brother, that he died for us, 
and that he was raised from the dead. He went through all that, believing that you, Father, would raise him from the dead. And Jesus, thank you so much for doing that, for having that belief and that courage to go through all that. Because of that now, you can live in us, God lives in us, and we can walk with great power and in oneness and get closer and closer to being that perfect body that you have already made. You've made us, but we just got to see it. So thank you for helping us to do that. And we thank you for these things. In the name of your son, Jesus Christ, amen. Come as you are